another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi folks, this is Jack Spearfield with another episode of the Survival Podcast Today is Monday, November 17th And I believe we are on episode 94 It could be 95, but I think it's 94 And as always, the Survival Podcast is one man's view of the changing world, the changing economic times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. And today, as per usual, I'd say 99.9% of the time, uh, the show is being dictated uh, as one man's opinion on a 50-mile commute between Arlington, Texas, in Frisco, Texas. And uh, as you join me this morning, again, this is a, a friendly conversation. I may get animated. I may get angry. I may even swear once in a while. Fortunately, the FCC is not regulating podcasts just yet. And I can tell you what I really think. But that makes us above all friends. Um, I'm open to being wrong about certain things. And I always take your feedback uh, and uh, do something constructive what I, what I can. And uh, sometimes your feedback is just at least in my opinion, kind of nonsensical, so I ignore it. That would be about 1% of the feedback goes in the nonsense category, such as the aliens are really coming, Jack, when are you going to wake up? And they mean the ones from outer space. Uh, Those ones go in the nonsense file, uh, or at least get advised to maybe go post on our forum at the Tinfoil Hat Brigade. Uh, The rest, I I tend to listen to with uh, quite a bit of interest, because I'm trying to do everything that I can to make the show better, more useful, uh, a a better source of both inspiration and information and of course entertainment if I can't be entertaining why in the hell would you people listen to me so that's why I get a bit animated at times especially when I'm talking about things like the federal government uh, the economy and the other things that idiots are doing all over to make us need to prepare to survive in the first place Um, today's show is actually going to be about Rebuilding America And the rebuilding that hasn't started yet Because we're in the teardown phase right now And I'm going to go through a few things about that today um, My hope today is just to inspire you a little bit To help you keep the faith from what's, for what's coming uh, Because we're about to go through One of the darkest times in American history uh, But I'll tell you some of the other darkest times in American history um, About the middle of the American Revolution Was a pretty dark time It looked like the... Uh, the English were going to take the colonies back, and uh, we would never become America. Um, about a year into the War of 1812 looked pretty bad. The Civil War looked pretty bad. World War One looked awful. World War Two. all the history books talk about how we won, the country nearly went bankrupt trying to win that war. And uh, if you watch the movie Flags of Our Fathers, specifically uh, about the war in the Pacific, you'll see that long after uh, victory over Europe came, that the, the war in Japan, the war with Japan, had a real opportunity to actually financially totally decimate the country. And we came closer to losing that war than most people realize. Um, but what do all those times have in common? You know, what does the, what also is there to say about, you know, the whole 1970s, the huge recession, the Vietnam era, uh, the hostages taken in Iran, all of these things that brought America into these deep lows. Well, the reality is that the other side of them, there were always huge rebuildings, making our nation better and more proud of what it had become. 
And every, you know, once what happens with a great nation like America is after a while of rebuilding and becoming better, we tend to lose our way. And as we lose our way, we have to go down into another dark night so that we can come out into a brand new day. It's it's all been written about before, folks, from uh, just about every uh, spiritual uh, faith that there is under the sun to every philosopher under the sun has basically said in one form it's or in another, it's always darkest before the dawn. Well, right now, I want you to understand that things are not dark, that the sun is setting, and that we're going into darkness at this point. And I want you to come out of the other side all kind of jazzed up and happy. And I want you to keep your faith through the middle of what we're about to deal with and realize this isn't, uh, you guys that are preparing for the apocalypse, the big one where the entire country melts down to the uh, the bare metal of the earth. I don't think we're here, but I think we're going to have some tough times. So I wanted to do a show about rebuilding and just the psychology behind it uh, to keep everybody motivated through the next year because it's going to get tough. Before I do that, though, uh, and I'm making no preliminary announcements about this, you guys that listen to the show regularly are going to be the ones that get a heads up on this one. Um, last Friday, we gave away some tactical stockings uh, from John Willis over at SOE Tactical Gear. And uh, I had about 100 people enter that contest. I did give a heads up to the uh, the people that have entered the contest and uh, told them, hey, you know, uh, about, to, about to do a show, it's, uh, it's a no heads up this this time. So everybody's got an equal chance. If you haven't entered the contest, you'll have to go enter the contest before you follow these instructions. As always, uh, if you're not in the contest and your name comes up as a winner, I will disqualify you. You join the contest by going to the survivalpodcast.com and clicking on listener appreciation contest. But you're on your honor when you do that to agree to tell other people about my show. Not necessarily a tremendous number of them, but at least one. You must tell at least one other person, hey, I really think you should watch this show, and I hope you'll do more than one. That's how we've grown the show. And in June, we had me and a recording device toward the end of June, anyway, when I first started doing the show, and nobody listening. And we now have between fifteen to 1,700 listeners, uh, just according to the FeedBurner stats, which is my primary indicator of my, my number of regular listeners, not everybody that listens to the show every day. My goal now is to grow that to uh, 10,000 listeners. I'm going to do it with this contest. And I have people offering to sponsor this contest now from uh, quite a few different places. Uh, but John Willis gave us, uh, again, 15 of these tactical stockings. I'm going to give away four more of them today, uh, and make sure that you are... uh, what, what am I going to try to say here? Make sure that you are uh, participating in our uh, stockings for soldiers. I'll put a link to the thread about that. I'm trying to find, again, a place we can send these stockings. So even if you don't win one, I'm hoping people will buy a few from John, one or two, and uh, fill them up with some goodies for soldiers, and we can ship them off overseas. Uh, I am still looking for an organization that would be willing to receive and distribute those stockings. Uh, if you can help me find one, that would be great. But here's the instructions for today's contest. Send me an email, as always. The subject line, let's make sure we get John some good branding. The subject line today is SOE Tactical Gear. That would be three words with spaces in between them. The S, the O, and the E are to be capitalized. If you do not do this exactly the way that John brands his company, you will have your entry disqualified. So it's SOE in all caps, space tactical with a capital T, gear with a capital G. You email me that in the subject line and nothing else. In the 
body of the email, your first name, last name, and email in with which you joined the contest. But when you register, your registered email at the contest. So I'm going to look up the winners to verify they're there. I'm going to make this possible for people that listen to the show way later in the day to win today. Uh, but I'm going to keep people incentivized to respond quickly as well. I will give away one of these tactical stockings to the first person I get an email from. The tenth person that I get an email from, the thirtieth person that I get an email from, and the fortieth person that I get an email from. So it's going up to forty people. Uh, that should give some of you guys to listen later in the day with no prior announcements, no help from me in the forum, nothing. Uh, you had to listen to the show to enter it, uh, a chance to win as well. So again, we are going to give them away to uh, email respondents one ten thirty and forty. One ten thirty and forty uh, will win a, a tactical stocking which is just awesome. You can see a picture of them on the blog uh, from uh, John Willis at SOE Tactical Gear. Again, the code word in the subject line, SOE in all caps, right? Tactical with a capital T, G with a capital, or gear with a capital G, exactly the way our sponsor is branding his company. That way you will remember who is sending you this gift. It's not Jack Spierko, it's John Willis, uh, if you happen to be one of the lucky winners. And folks, if you don't win today, uh, I've got another eight, uh, another seven of those to give out yet. So we have plenty coming uh, down the road for you. And I do have some other stuff coming this week. Waiting on some uh, uh, gun safes that are designed to keep your, your handguns protected in your vehicle from another sponsor. As soon as I receive them, I'll announce who that sponsor is. I'll put a review of their product on the site and we'll give away those. There's going to be quite a few of those, including one of them is biometric. I've got a listener that's sending me a box of 22 BBs, uh, which is a collectible, no longer made ammo. Uh, I'm going to give that box away. I'll probably sneak one of those out of there for my cartridge collection and give you the rest of the box away. And I've got another listener who's sending me an ounce of silver. A one ounce silver bar that we'll be giving away. So that's just that's just coming in the next couple weeks here. And I've got some other people I'm negotiating with right now uh, for some other things. Oh, Appleseed. Appleseed, which trains riflemen, has offered to let me go shoot for free down in uh, Texas on the, the I think it's around December 7th, somewhere around there. I don't know if I'll be able to go, but they're going to give away a shoot. I'm going to post an article about Appleseed on the site. Make sure you understand what it is. Post their schedule because I'm only going to want people to try to win this that are actually going to be able to go to one of the events. Uh, but Appleseed's giving away a free uh, day of shooting. John Willis at SOE Tactical Gear. Also, I just received uh, from TacticalResponse.com who he's associated with uh, about $140 worth of DVDs. A $100 DVD collection of uh, practical pistol training and a $40 DVD on some, uh, I guess it's pistol basics. I haven't had a chance to look at bo- either one of them yet. I'm going to watch them suck the information out of them as best I can. I will then give those away as well. So as you can see, the contest is getting pretty freaking cool. Alright, let's move on to today's subject now. Get off the, uh, the commercialism, I guess. And let's talk about kind of what the state of our country is right now and where we're headed. The biggest story that I know that's going on in the uh, the financial world at the you know right now this very second is about the big three automakers and should we bail them out? Should we give them more money? 
And I talked about this last week, and I said that one of the biggest problems that GM, Ford, and Chevy have is that they're burdened by huge contracts negotiated through uh, the United Auto Workers Unions. And uh, some people got upset about that. Most of the people really got upset sent me personal emails telling me how important the unions are, and I'm trying to destroy America. Sorry if you feel that way. Um, I think the unions are destroying the auto industry. I think the unions, uh, by and large, are destroying the airline industry. And if you look at the most successful people in airlines, and you look at the most successful people in the auto industry, they're not encumbered by unions. That tells you something. Their people are keeping their jobs. Um, just to kind of make my point, I happen to notice that on the way out of the house today, and I stopped, and I'm probably going to be five minutes later than I wanted to be today, uh, to the office, just because I wanted to write these statistics down. Uh, but the health care cost per vehicle is, is hugely related to the union contracts and the amount of uh, health care and the type of health care policy that employees of Ford, GM, and uh, Chrysler have been guaranteed. It costs GM about $1,600 per vehicle produced to maintain health care for their uh, their employees. It costs Ford about $1,500 to do the same thing. That means when you see a vehicle sitting on the lot with a price tag of $20,000, and it's a Ford, that it's already down to $18,500 of what's left in it just from health care costs. All right? Toyota who does a lot of their manufacturing in Tennessee today, so they're not manufacturing in Japan with you know Japanese workers and, and what have you. They're manufacturing in America with American workers, much like the American workers in Detroit and Indiana and New Jersey and down here in Texas. Uh, their cost is $300. So that means on our $20,000 vehicle, they're still looking at 197 after just health care is taken out. Now you have to realize that all of these makers are making vehicles of similar size, shape, and function, selling them into the same market at the same relative price. All right, That means that an entry-level sedan from Toyota, an entry-level sedan from Ford, an entry-level sedan from Chevrolet are all going after the same consumer. All right, with pretty much the same feature sets and gas mileage, and you can you know nitpick it at the end, but in the end, you have to look at it that they're targeting the same person, and that they're they're going to sell whatever they're going to sell, but what matters is not so much how many vehicles you sell, but what your profit per vehicle is. Because if you're losing a dollar per vehicle, one dollar per vehicle, you sell a hundred million, million of them, you got a big problem, a hundred million dollar loss. All right. Now, the other side of this is, what's burden labor cost? And for those of you who are not business people, you may not realize how much you cost your employer. As someone that's owned and built businesses, I can tell you, I am all too familiar with it. And we refer to that as our burden labor cost. This means if I employ you for $10 an hour, you cost me a hell of a lot more than $10 an hour. I have to look at what it costs to keep the desk in front of you, what it costs to keep the power to that desk, what it costs for your benefits. My when you pay Social Security, guess what? I pay Social Security. I have to pay somebody to pay you. I have to pay somebody to supervise you. All right? And all these things add up. And typically a $10 an hour employee in America today, for a relatively small business that controls its costs, will be about $18 an hour. That's just the way it is. That's the cost of doing business. So you might, again, look at your check and go, well, I don't make $18 an hour if you make 10 Or if you make 18 you're thinking, I don't make 30 But that's what your cost is. That's your cost to your employer. When you look at the average burdened hourly rate 
for manufacturing a vehicle. This is everybody from the guy that sweeps the floor at the end of the day to the guy that bolts the doors on. All right, GM pays about seventy-one dollars an hour to build vehicles. Toyota pays forty-seven. So there you go, folks. There's what the unions have done to the big three, demanding those fair wages that have janitors in some of these places, making far more than somebody that's been teaching our children for 25 years and doing a good job of it. Just reality. And there was a time and a place for unions. I think there still is a place for unions on some levels and in some degrees. I know there's places where workers are underpaid. Uh, but the days of like the slave labor wages and all, they're going away. Because people simply won't work for them anymore. The worker has the power as an individual to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Um, so that's just kind of one of the things setting the scene for where our nation's headed right now. And Congress is actually looking at this bailout and going, well, what's our guarantee that we're not just, you know, forestalling the execution here, you know, because the automakers are going, give us the money, give us the money, or we're going to die. And all the people that work for us are not going to have jobs. And then everybody that works, you know, to supply us is going to have to let off people. There's going to be millions and millions of jobs lost, and the whole world will end, and the atomic bomb's coming, and give us the money, please! And as I've told you, I'm actually for some level of bailout for the automakers for a specific reason. Our government, in their infinite wisdom, decided that our vehicles weren't friendly enough to the polar bears and the sea lions and the doves that fly around in the air. So they mandated new emissions requirements. The purpose of the money that was originally offered to the uh, big three was so they could retool to meet these standards. I think the government created that mess. Government fixing it. Not really for any amount of money going out of the government to anybody. I wish less money went into the government from anybody. But if it's going to happen anyway, if you're going to spend the money anyway, I can understand why they would do that. Now the government's going, wait a minute, you guys are saying you need more money. And you're saying, frankly, if you don't get it, all three of you are just done. You're out of money. You're out of cash. You can't afford to go forward anymore. So what's our assurance that this money will be invested well for the American people that you're going to be here anyway? What's your plan? And their plan is, well, you give us the money, and, and, and then we'll have money to pay our people, and we can keep running our businesses. Well, that's not a plan. Well, it is a plan. It's a plan to stay where you're at. It's a plan to keep going forward the way you've been going forward. It's a plan to keep all the problems that you already have, and it's a plan to end up right back where you started a year or two from now. Uh, GM, Ford, and Chrysler are not going to be saved by throwing money at them right now. I've said this before. I'll say it again. And this includes relatives that you may have that are looking for money from you because they're in a tight spot. When you give people that can't manage money properly more money, you make the problems that they create for themselves bigger. It doesn't mean you don't help a family member in need, but you do evaluate the situation and you evaluate how much help you're going to give them. You do place conditions upon the help. You give the help and you let whatever happens happen. And if you don't ever see the money come back, that's the cost of doing business with family. All right? But once you've given it, that's all. All right, well, the, the automakers have been given lots of opportunities to take advantage of. The big problem they have are these unions. Now, the thing we need to realize, though, is we need to kind of shepherd these guys through some kind of a restructuring. If we don't, what we're going to have, and I've said this on the forum, is GM China. All right, because GM has more going on in China than you can imagine right now. All right, and we'll probably have Ford moving over to Korea, believe it or not, or Japan. 
uh, one of the two, or possibly setting up uh, sister operations in both nations. Uh, Chrysler, I think GM or Ford will probably suck them into the to to their new conglomerate, and we'll we won't have Ford, GM, and Chrysler go away. They'll just move. And that's highly likely to occur if we don't do something about this. I don't want that. I don't want, you know, Toyota Ford. Right? I really don't. And I don't want the uh, the Silverado to become the Silverado, right, from, Japan, from China. I really don't. Uh, but if we don't do something, this is going to happen. So what do we do? It might strike you to know. I'm not really sure what we do. I know one thing. We don't just give them money and bail them out right now. Uh, we do have to figure out how they we can, they can restructure. They may have to do that just through a standard bankruptcy. The reality, though, is what you need to realize is if GM goes through bankruptcy, 100% of their employees don't go home and stop working. All right? Uh, everybody connected to GM in every shape, form, or way doesn't just disappear. The company restructures. Somebody becomes a receiver of the assets and starts rebuilding the company. And a lot of these long-term contracts that are killing the company will get negotiated down to a place that's reasonable so that the company can come back and compete. It won't be painless. Now, why have I spent so much time talking about this big three? Because it's a, it's a microcosm of what's going on from big business to small business everywhere in America right now. Times got so good, and even when people said times were bad right after 9-11, times have really been good since the mid-90s right up till now. There's been some layoffs and some jobless claims and some stuff like that, but basically the economy's trucked right along. We've had some hiccups in the middle. Everything got put back together, and a lot of false underpinnings were pushed into the economy. That's created an environment where businesses have made obligations to employees that they can't meet all over the place. I mean, it, from small employers that have overpaid for talent, you know, if you wanted a really good business manager uh, two years ago, they were very, very expensive. They, they've got people with salaries that they just can't afford to keep paying, but yet they're doing it because now they're at a point where they can't afford to lose the employee either. So what you're going to see a lot of in, in the coming uh, year to two years is employers coming to their employees and saying, look, um, I don't want to let anybody go. i got to let go 5% or 2% or whatever, depending on the size of the employer, or one guy. But even that's not going to fix the problem. Now, I'm willing to keep everybody. Here's the salary adjustment that you're going to have to deal with. And uh, people are going to be free to say, you know what, I'm not going to take a pay cut. But if you do that, then you're, what you're saying is I'm not a team player. And it's not going to be surprising when all the people willing to take the cut end up staying and you end up going. I'm preparing you for that eventual reality. Because the America, we know, is not going away. It's not going to disappear. People aren't going to stop buying food, driving cars, taking vacations, doing all the other things that we do every day. But what they are going to stop doing is they're going to stop doing it so often and so much and so freely. And it's going to reduce the size of the market, and that's going to reduce the amount of profit. And when that happens, you have to reduce your expenses accordingly. So that's that's where we're going. Now, what's the, what's the upside of all this? The upside of all this is we're probably looking... Uh, there's two scenarios here. I've said this before. One is a, a short recession, a year to two years. And with all this fake money that the governments of the world are pumping into the system, uh, a, a bubble and another crash. That's that's one scenario. The other scenario is a, a longer rebuilding, a four to five, six years to really bring the country back to its greatness and the economy back to its greatness and frankly the world's economy back to its greatness. We have a lot to be proud of in this, this economy uh, when it runs 
runs right other than just the United States. I think that we are the bastion of capitalism, but a lot of the rest of the world contributes a great deal to not only our economy, but the total world economy. Well, that's a five to six year recovery job right now if we do it the right way. On the other side, we have the ability to come out of people that have been a little bit humbled that have learned that you know everything that, that we take of as uh, think of as a right today isn't a right uh, that there there is more to uh, to life than the latest little technical gadget that when a uh, I don't know when a fifty dollar jacket gets a rip in the sleeve because you walk by something sharp in a store and it tears the jacket it's not the store's fault it's your fault you were wearing your own jacket and you don't just throw the jacket away and spend another 50 bucks if you just bought it you don't take it back to the people you bought it from and say oh it was that way when i got it i didn't notice and try to return it that what we do is we go down to the tailor like our grandparents did and we give them two or three bucks and they stitch it up and they make it look as best that they can we have an opportunity to come off of being a throwaway society. And what got me thinking about this is when I was talking about being a veteran last week for Veterans Day, I started to think about the day that I graduated from basic training and the day that I graduated from Airborne School. Those two days, you could have walked up and hit me in the face with a baseball bat, and I don't think I would have felt it. I was on cloud nine with pride. I believed I could do anything on those two days, specifically the day I graduated from Airborne School. Do you know how training in the military starts? They break you down. And they don't just break you down physically, they break you down emotionally. They break you down mentally. Alright? You have to think about, we're talking about, I remember I was about two or three days into basic training, and one of our drill sergeants walked in, had us all at attention standing around our racks, we were, you know, half-dressed, half-undressed, complaining about the way our uniforms were, because, you know, obviously our uniforms, were, none of them were right, because no one was finished getting dressed yet, he planned it, that was a mind game. And then he walked to the front of the, 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 the barracks, and he, he stood there, and he said, man... I want to prepare you for something. Some of the drill sergeants here are going to tell you that you are a maggot. Some of them will tell you that your mama was a maggot. Some of them will tell you that your daddy was a a maggot, but most of them will call you maggot at some point in your training. I do not want that to go to your head. I don't want, want you being walking around proud thinking you rate at the same level that a maggot does. Men, you right now do not even rate at the level of what comes out of the ass of a maggot. You are lower than that. Don't forget it. Get your shit together and get out and be in formation in three minutes. Am I clear? And, you know, we all responded and we came out. Okay. That process of being told that you're lower than what comes out of the back door of a maggot. Eight weeks later has men with their chest puffed out, their head held high, standing with pride they've never experienced before in their life. All right, and I'm not saying everybody needs it given to them that way. What I'm saying is a 200-year history or more of the United States Army has proven to us that breaking people down, making them grateful for what they have, making them realize what they can do when they're pressed hard, works. 
It works wonders. And I believe you can take all the economic formulas, and I'm kind of into that stuff, and I get it, supply and demand and, you know, uh, curves and ratios and all this other stuff. I, I like that stuff, believe it or not. I, I can sit down and, and play around with the mathematics of the economy, and, and I actually enjoy myself doing it. But I think if you take all that crap aside, it's just a way to understand the psychology behind the system. And that is when our country is pushed to the edge, tested, then its metal gets tempered, and Americans stand up and they say, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. From the farmer, the hillbilly, and the typical backbone blue collar of America, right down, and I say down because I put the blue collar hillbilly above the white collar guy any day, but down to the white collar yuppie that drives a Lexus. All of us, all of us stand up in unity and say, no, 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 no. This great experiment in democracy is not over. We may argue with each other. We may throw, throw slings and arrows and slurs at each other. But in the end, in the end, we don't go down without a fight. In fact, the fighting that we do amongst ourselves, that's training for when we have to fight everybody else. We won't give up. We're going to make this thing work. And what you see after that, is the results of that breakdown. One of the most amazing economies our nation ever had was after World War II. Men came back from the war and they built the highway system that you drive on today. I drove through tunnels in upstate Pennsylvania, upstate New York. They were put through mountains that were built by soldiers who spilled blood on the shores of Normandy and Iwo Jima. And those things will be there when I'm dead and my children will probably drive hover vehicles through them. Alright, I guess unless they fly over the mountain, I don't know. Alright, you get my point. When we had the Civilian Conservation Corps uh, under FDR in the dark days of the Depression, when we were beginning to come out of the Depression before we went into World War II, it actually prolonged it, it didn't stop it. Those guys built infrastructure in our parks and our wildlife systems. The construction of those things are still there. There's stone walls without an ounce of mortar that have been that will be standing it for centuries, built by these craftsmen. Many of those craftsmen are the ones that went off to war and then came back and built the highways. When we look at the history of America, we have a history of being down for the count, being counted out, being told that the America that was is gone. And us standing back up and going, well, sort of, we just got baptized again, baby. Now it's time to change things the way that people really want them changed. Alright? And it doesn't matter what jackasses are president. Alright? They picked the donkey, not me, so, you know... Let that be what it is. It doesn't matter how many jackasses we have in our Congress and our Senate. And they again pick their mascot, but a lot of them walking around with an elephant tattooed on their ass. I call them jackasses too. Because in the end, we make the rules. We control what happens. We're the ones that wake up every day and decide whether we're going to get in our car and go to work or not. Right? And folks, that has more power than you might imagine. These guys ever get too heavy-handed with their attitude about how much government we need coming to us, all we all have to do is stop working for a couple days. 
That'll put a hurt on you. You go, how the hell does that work? Well, they get most of their money from us. They get it when we earn a dollar. They get it when we spend a dollar. They get it when we burn an ounce of gas. They get it when we pump an ounce of gas. If we stop doing everything, they don't get anything. And uh, you say, well, how the hell could the American people ever survive that way? Well, if you prep, you can. I mean, if we got five or six million people across this country prepared to live six months with nothing, and those five or six million people decided, let's live a week with nothing. Let's just go one week. Unpaid vacation. Let's get your attention up there in, uh, in the Capitol Hill. Let's go take, oh, I don't know, a couple trillion dollars or a couple billion dollars out of the economy. Right? Not just out of the economy, but out of the coffers of government. All right? Now, do we have your attention? That could be a a, a bloodless American revolution someday, folks. That's how important prepping really is. But my point is, no matter how it happens, no matter where it it comes from, no matter what we do, that our nation has been built upon failure, not success. And if you think of every great success in America, a mountain of failures preceded it. We put a man on the moon after we blew up a couple billion dollars worth of rockets. We became the freest nation on the planet after the men fighting for that freedom almost quit because they didn't have any shoes or boots in the cold of a Pennsylvania winter. Alright? And we went to the verge of having our own people throw the towel in and allow Japan to declare victory over us to having victory taken and brought back. We went from a Great Depression to building one of the most amazing park systems in America. We had our people held hostage in America, or actually overseas. And when we got them back, they came back to an America with a new hope, a new belief. Ronald Reagan's America. And we built the 80s. And we took this country to a new level. We ended a stalemate with the Soviet Union that people said would never end during that period of time. Even Bill Clinton. I'm not a big fan of Bill Clinton for a lot of reasons. But when it came to the economy, the man knew how to get certain things done and do them the right way. He did some things the wrong way. Part of that's why we have problems today. But... We had hope, right? We went through a recession with 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 Bush Bush Senior's presidency, with the beginning of Bill Clinton's presidency. But we built the country back, and we built the internet. Now Gore didn't build the internet, but to a large degree, Americans did. We created a whole new system of entrepreneurship. We have people today that never leave their homes for work, that make money selling products on the internet, that make money on eBay. All right. We created that. We made that. And the rest of the world is benefiting from it. But we did it. eBay's an American company. Half.com that they bought is an American company. PayPal that makes most of the transactions that happen online today happen for the small business person. That's an American company. That's what America's all about. All right? We're strong. And we'll be stronger at the end of this recession. We have to go through this now. We don't have a choice. No amount of printing money in a basement is ever going to make this problem completely go away. We're going to have some darkness. But the other side of that darkness is a dawn that's going to be beautiful. Your job as a survivalist, as a prepper, is to not just make it through, but thrive. To live the life you really want right through it. So that when the new day does dawn on the other side... You're just ready to partake of it, not to start rebuilding then. See, it's the survivalist mentality in the heart 
of not just the American, of any nation that's been through this. And many nations have been through this. Sometimes we get too attached to our own ideals. And we don't realize how many of our ideals come from somewhere else. Many of the ideals in our Declaration of Independence and our Bill of Rights come from a people we really stepped on. Native Americans and the great law of freedom. I'll do a show about that someday. But in any location, in any place, on any nation under the sun, when times get tough, the will inside the soul of man that says, I will not go down. I will feed my family. I will take care of the people around me. I will make do with what I have. That's what makes our world work. That's what's made our nation great. And it hasn't gone away. It hasn't died. And beating in the heart and the soul of the man that works in the office next to you that seems like he doesn't get it is that spirit. You're in touch with it now. It may take darkness to put him in touch with it, but it's probably in his heart and his soul as well. That's what we're about to go through. That's why we can be optimistic as we go through what's coming because it's bigger than most people realize. It's a lot bigger than most people realize. And it's going to take a lot longer to put back together than it did the last time. But be ready for it, be prepared for it, and keep striving, keep working hard, keep saving, keep storing. Keep being an ant. Don't be a grasshopper, folks. That's all I'm saying today. So again, folks, uh, I hope this has been a good show for you. I hope it's made you have a little bit of faith and hope in what's around you. We're not doom and gloom here at the Survival Podcast. We're about survival. And you don't survive by sticking your head into a dark closet and going, the world is over, the world is over. You survive by seeing the daylight that has to come as long as the world keeps turning. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.